Hello, and thanks for listening into the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. We're a church in Nottingham, England, with a vision to see the church on fire and the city alive. You're about to hear a message in a series called Thy Kingdom Come, where we're walking line by line through the Lord's Prayer. Now, I hope for this series that we'll be inspired and equipped to go deeper in the lifelong adventure of prayer. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, I don't think you've been following the news cycle this week, but if you have, then you know that the theme that's carried through for most of the week, I would almost say all of the week, has been the theme of testing. Yes, the uh, the particular kind of testing, though, uh, has to do with testing for coronavirus. And uh, those of you who've been sort of following the World Health Organization, you know that one of the key suggestions that they've given sort of manage and keep control of the disease is regular testing. And the question we've had in our country, at least, and actually in lots of countries across uh, Europe and, and beyond is how can we increase the levels of testing? Now, whether it's scarcity of chemicals, whether it's administrative incompetence, a lack of facilities, or something else, I will let you and others decide. But for whatever reason, uh, the complaint is that there just isn't enough testing. Perhaps the lesson that we can agree on, certainly from the news cycle this week, is that it's harder than you might expect to get a nation through a simple lot of testing. And uh, in a different way, to re-employ the term, we are in, clearly, a significant, not a simple, but a significant time of testing, aren't we? And in many ways, Lent is a, uh, a, con- a consistently for the church, Lent is a sustained time of testing. Testing is a Lenten theme. And this is no simple test. This isn't like uh, the kind of test that the government is trying to roll out. This is the most significant national crisis, the most significant test many of us will ever have seen, ever have faced. And the likelihood is, for us personally, that the further on we get into this particular journey, the more we might be starting to feel the pressure. The more we might be starting, if you like, to creak. The more the patience begins to wear thin. That's certainly how it has been in our house, just speaking for myself. Because it's when we're under stress that who we are beneath the surface really begins to come to the fore. See, times of testing of this kind reveal character. We have seen, haven't we, the best of humanity in these weeks. We've seen uh, our NHS. In fact, we've been on our front doorstep clapping uh, those people who've put themselves on the front line in the NHS and in other um, care sectors, um, serving and helping others even at their own risk. We've praised the individuals and institutions who have been doing that on our corporate behalf We've also seen the worst. A billion pounds worth of extra food and supplies are in our freezers. Completely unnecessary hoarding. Beyond that, we're seeing criminals scamming uh, as a result of this. Uh, trying, to, trying to expose vulnerable people and use them in the midst of this crisis. We're still seeing people completely oblivious to the severity of the crisis, having barbecues out in public parks. And personally, if you're anything like me, you're also feeling your character being revealed or exposed. I feel like I've spent much of the last week shadow boxing with myself, fighting with the parts of my own personality that I like the least. And I don't know whether it's the fact that every single, af- every single day, Amy and I are spending 
hours trying to teach our children to spell and to add. But that alone will take you to places. If you've not done this, don't laugh at me. It will take you to places you didn't know you could go. Testing like this reveals character. But testing, biblically, is also about forming character. We learn more about ourselves and we can grow more in the lean times often than we can in the fat times. We find out and w- are more about ourselves when we're being pushed to some limit than we do when life is comfortable. Certainly that's always been the way it, it is for me, or it has been for me. I remember one particular season of testing in my own life between the ages of probably about 17, 18 and about 23, so five or six years. And, and I would say I'd been tested before this season. I, I went through my teen years and I was pretty severely bullied to the extent that uh, it made my life very, very difficult. And uh, I just about came through that, to be honest. I, that left a mark on me. It, it really did. But the time of testing I'm talking about isn't that time. It's a time that really flowed out of that. And it was uh, the period of time when I arrived at university. And it went on for about five years, so beyond my university years and and really it began, I, su- I suppose, as I was uh, driving into the town in which my university was. And I remember just thinking, just thought came into my mind. I'd never thought it before. And the thought was, you don't know anybody here. And I'd never thought that thought. I hadn't thought that thought until I was driving in. I, and that time, that season was therefore relationally a test. It was, it was all about forming new relationships, being really isolated, having sort of to make all, uh, ev- every connection I had was brand new. So I didn't feel like there was any relational depth, there wasn't any safety, any relational confidence. I felt really isolated and alone. I was also intellectually tested as well as relationally. Now, I'd enjoyed studying science at school. I did a couple of science A-levels and I particularly liked the broad brushstroke stuff. I was a bit less involved in the sort of equations and the maths, but I really liked the big picture stuff, the sort of theories. And I, I liked sort of being, being able to sort of waft around my own sort of theory, particularly about how science and faith interacted. So I particularly enjoyed biology uh, and, uh, and some of the more, I'd say, uh, speculative stuff. I didn't quite like the detailed stuff as much, but when I went to university, all my degree was about was the detailed stuff. I had to go back and study A-level maths. But goodness me, if somebody hadn't done that, it was such an intellectual challenge to me. And I was also physically challenged. There was a testing happening physically. For the almost the entirety of the first term, I had freshest flu. I just kept catching one infection after the other. I was drained physically, and my emotional reserves were so depleted that by the end of the first time, I went to a doctor. I sat in his office, and he asked me how I was, and I just began to weep. There was something about his simple kindness that just got under my skin, and I just began to fall apart. I remember over that Christmas break at thinking, I don't know if I can actually go back. I don't know if I can face this. There's lots of reasons for why that was such a test for me, not least the fact that I think it was the first time I, was, I came up to a limit. The first time I was pushed beyond my capacity to cope, I felt like a failure in so many different areas, and that was really difficult for me. It was rough. But looking back, I can see that that time of testing was so pivotal. God did something. God began to plant seeds uh, that yielded a crop that I'm still harvesting today. Now, many of you have experienced testing much, much more severe than that. Many of you are right now experiencing a test much beyond that. But testing 
whatever it is, however we get there, is such a central part of life, of, and particularly of the life of faith. Because it's not just personally for me that, you know, I don't just see this in my own life. We actually see this all the way through the scriptures that, that that's the way, this way of testing, this life of testing is the way it's always been for God's people. In fact, Deuteronomy 8, Amy read it to us. What we see in that scripture is God working in the lives of his people as they are tested. He says to them, verse 1 of chapter 8, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord has promised to you, sorry, has promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. So there's Moses speaking to the people of Israel, and by way of context, they're in the wilderness, and they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, the wilderness for them isn't just a metaphor, it's a lived reality. And we've been saying over the last few weeks that that's the same for us. This is a metaphor that's fruitful for us. It helps us to understand what life is like in following God, but it's also a lived reality. We are going, and we will go, and we are going now through a time of wilderness but God begins with with Israel through Moses and here we have it in Deuteronomy 8 he begins to tell them what the 40-year journey they've been on has actually been about and so what has it been about what is a wilderness journey for we've been talking about it for weeks what is it actually for well we see a few things here the first thing we see is that the wilderness journey for Israel and for us is actually primarily about prospering us it's about prospering us. uh, God says through Moses, so that you may live and increase and and may enter and possess the land that the Lord God promised on oath to your ancestors. The purpose of wilderness seasons is actually about prospering us. God's design and God's desire for us in difficult times, in times of testing, is to prosper his people. It's about blessing. God longs to fill us with Deeper blessings, richer blessings, more abundant blessings than he ever has before. And in order to do that, he has to do a work in us so we have the capacity to receive those blessings. God's desire is not to destroy us, to punish us, to harm us. It is to bless us and he has to work in us. And he often does that work in times of extremity, in times of testing. And with that, the work necessary is that he would ground us. The word that's used here in verse 2, here's what we read. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you. Humble you. And literally, you could say that word uh, synonym might be to ground you. Humus, the word from which we get the word humble, it just means the earth, to earth you. It's almost as if God's saying, look, if you're going to carry my blessing, if you're going to work with my power, then you need to be earthed, just like a plug needs to be earthed if it's going to allow electricity to flow through it. So you, my people, must be earthed. And what happens in seasons of testing is we're earthed. In other words, we receive and um, uh, become aware of our dependence and our need for God. So these times of testing about prospering us, they're about humbling us or grounding us. Finally, they're about teaching us. God wants to teach us. He says in verse 2, this has been about humbling and testing you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. A test 
is any external circumstance that allows for us to grow. Times of testing in life, times of testing in wilderness seasons provide, uniquely provide occasion for growth. And so another word for testing might be training. What happens in seasons of testing is that we are trained. We're trained by God. It's like we go into the gym. And the idea here, therefore, is that anytime we pass a test, anytime we respond to a test positively, depending on God and moving toward God, it's like we flex a muscle. And so we're strengthened in God. And that's always God's intent. That's where the prospering comes. We develop spiritual strength. Our muscles, our spiritual capacities increase and improve. In other words, we grow in maturity. We become closer. We become more intimate with God. We enjoy more communion with Him. And that's the purpose, is that we therefore might carry more of His presence, be more of a blessing to others, be more of an enriching presence in our communities, in our own families. That's what the testing is for. It's to teach us, to train us in godly character, to move us forward in faith. But what's happening at the same time is that another dynamic is going on in the wilderness. There's another voice at play. And that voice is the voice of the tempter, the evil one who's seeking to subvert and pervert these seasons of testing and use them for temptation. And his desire is that we wouldn't move forward, that we would stumble and fall in the wilderness. Now in Greek, the word for testing or training, as I've uh, said, is perasmos. And that word can literally also mean tempting. And I think what the dynamic that I think we often experience in times of testing is we also find alongside these seasons of testing that temptation is close to us. And what temptation is, it's, it's an, if testing is an external circumstance that God allows to cause us to grow, tempting is an internal struggle we face in the middle of testing due to our human weakness or due to spiritual opposition. And the two things happen at the same time. They're not the same thing. It's important to know God does not tempt us. It says in James 1.13, No one when tempted should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. God doesn't tempt us, but God does allow testing to happen. God does allow these wilderness seasons for us. And in those seasons, Satan seizes the opportunity to try and cause us to stumble and fall and walk away from God. Rather than to press into God, he wants us to abandon God that's pretty much what I did uh, as a consequence of my season of testing around my university time. At least initially, that was my response. It's not advised. <laughs> and the question then is, is not will we be tested? Will we experience wilderness seasons? We've been talking about that the last few weeks. So the question is, how will we respond? How can we become people who flourish in the midst of these times of testing and in times of the wilderness? And the answer we've been offering week by week over this series on the Lord's Prayer is is prayer. The way we learn to flourish and experience God's grace in fresh ways in wilderness seasons is by stepping in to prayer. It's by asking God to develop, if you like, a spiritual tool belt, which is prayer. And we began by talking about the importance of learning the Lord's Prayer. 
Not just learning how to say it, but learning how to live it. Learning, therefore, how to understand the fatherhood of God. Learning how to understand that God is a father who wants us to draw close to him, but yet he's also holy. That the intimacy that we can enjoy with him in no way negates or diminishes his glory and his magnificence. Learning uh, in the midst of that and in the context of that to, to draw near to him in daily dependence and ask for our daily bread, spiritual provision, to draw from the rock which is Christ. Learning to come to him in repentance and actually to shape our whole lives around worship of him. That's what we looked at last week. And this week, we look at how to relate to him in the midst of temptation that often occurs in times of testing. That's been our series so far. And my sense and our sense as we've been trying to lead you well in these last few weeks is that this is a time for God's church, Trinity Church, but more broadly than that, God's church to lean in to prayer. And I've been really interested, honestly, in these last few weeks because I, I, my response initially to the crisis that we're in has been to think about how practically to reorganize church life and how we're going to meet the need around us. And I see that response in so many different uh, pastors and so many different church movements. And I, I've recognized in myself and also in others that the, the impulse, the natural impulse to pray has often been secondary. And actually, I think we need to reverse that, don't we? We need to say, gosh, our first response, the greatest gift we have to offer the world as Christians is that we would lean into God in a fresh way in these moments, that we draw nearer to him and that we would pray, we develop. Uh, in testing, we develop muscles of and in prayer. And one of the prayers we need to learn to pray is this prayer. Lord, lead me not. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not to the time of trial as Cliff Richard sang uh, in the millennium. Lead us not to the time of trial. Lord, lead us not into temptation. And when we pray that prayer, we're saying, Lord, in times of testing, don't allow me to fall back into the well-trodden paths of the world. But allow me to continue to pursue you, to set my eyes upon you, to set my face upon you, and to move forward in faith. Not to fall back into fear, but Lord, to move forward in faith. My friend Tim Chaddick wrote a book on this. It's called The Truth About Lies. And this, this is what he says. To pray what Jesus tells us is to say, God, keep me from turning this situation of testing into a sinful one. Though God allows us to live in the midst of temptation, he is not the one responsible for our desire to do evil within it. His purpose is that we would learn to depend on him in every situation. Satan's design is to appeal to our fallen nature and to lure us from, the, from God with custom-made temptations, inviting us to stray. Gosh, custom-made temptations? Yes, that you just go onto YouTube and the algorithms are literally custom made, digitally designed temptations, prepared to take you off track, prepared to take your focus away from God. If you, and I encourage you not to, were ever to stray into your junk mailbox, you would find custom made temptations designed specifically to take you off to track, to lead you off the path that's good. Don't go there. Don't go there. Lean into God. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Pray this prayer. Lead me not, Lord, into temptation. In the time of testing, let me not fall. Let me not stumble. And our model for this, of course, is Jesus himself. 
Listen to the words of the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. This is what we read. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Firstly, we need to understand that we have a high priest who is able to empathize with us. That when we're in times of testing and indeed when we're in times of temptation, God is not a God who stands apart from us and criticizes us. God is a God who is there with us empathizing, encouraging, giving us the resource we need. Jesus loves to hear the prayer on our lips. Jesus, lead me not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. He loves that prayer because he knows the power of temptation. He himself has been in the wilderness. He knows what it is to be tempted. And yet he was without sin. And because of that, we can do the second thing that Hebrews 4 encourages us encourages us to do, which is to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Confide, faith together. Notice the Lord's Prayer says, let us pray this prayer. Lead us not into temptation. And it's when we together with confidence, with faith together, say, Lord, lead us together, not into the time of trial. That we receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. What's the answer? For those who want to flourish in the wilderness, in the time of testing, and indeed in times of temptation, the answer is to turn to Jesus in the wilderness. To approach God's throne of grace with confidence. What What is God's throne of grace? What does it look like? Is it not the cross of Christ? Is the throne of grace, the the throne on which God is enthroned, is it not the cross of Jesus? where Jesus is enthroned as we're going to be celebrating in just a few days on Good Friday. We see God in the wilderness enthroned on the cross for us, embracing weakness and using even his own weakness to transform our weakness and to resurrect it. And so we come boldly to the foot of the cross in times of testing, in times of temptation, and we ask simply that God would be merciful. We ask simply for him to pour out his grace upon us. Now today, for those of you who don't know, is Palm Sunday. And normally you'd be getting a Palm Sunday service and a Palm Sunday sermon. As it is, you're getting uh, a little aside at the end of a sermon. But I just want to end with this. It, in, in these stories of the triumphal entry, each one of them has this picture of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, finally about to take, surely, his glory as rightful king of Israel. Surely as the Messiah is about to be enthroned. And, and each story uh, has him riding in, uh, being praised by the crowds. Hosanna in the highest means Lord save us. It's this, this moment where Israel's king comes, uh, seemingly is about to come into his kingdom. And yet there's a particular detail that seems to sort of jar slightly. And the detail is this, that Jesus rides into Jerusalem, not on a horse, as we would expect a kingly figure, a Messiah figure, certainly a divine figure, 
uh, to come into Jerusalem on, but he's riding on a donkey. And it struck me as I was preparing and just praying through what I wanted to say today, that this donkey is perhaps for us a, a, a metaphor for a time of testing. You know, we don't expect maybe to find God in the wilderness. Maybe what we expect is to find God in some sort of glorious experience of him on the mountaintop. But we're not allowed on the mountaintops. We're not allowed to go to the Peak District and walk our dogs at the moment. We can't have that sort of transcendent experience we might expect. God isn't to be found there in this season. Well, just maybe God is going to show up for us in this season in a different way. Maybe what God wants to do is to show up for us on a donkey. Not as it were through the front door, but maybe around the side of the house. Not on a horse, a symbol of power and military might, but on a donkey. In a, in a sort of symbol and sign of a weak, crucified Messiah. Maybe that's what God has for us in this season. And I sense particularly now that even this morning, God wants to reveal himself to us as a broken Messiah, a God who suffered on our behalf and therefore a God who can empathize with us. Maybe his gift for us today in this wilderness, time of testing and even in moments of temptation is his own bloodied and battered body on the cross. And I just want to say, just for those of us um, who are hearing this, this is our moment to respond. And we respond to God simply by inviting him to show us who he is. So why don't we pray? And I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to use some words from one of the prophets in the Old Testament, chapter 55 of Isaiah. And whether you're a a Christian, I've been a Christian for decades, generations even, Whether you're watching this for the very first time, you've never been to church before and you don't even know how to pray. I think simply the response, the right response to a message like this is just simply to open our heart to God. To pray a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray and maybe you just want to, you want to follow along. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. And the prayer I want to pray is this. And maybe just in your heart, whether you're new to faith, whether you've been journeying with Jesus for a long time, is something like this. Father God, Lead me not into temptation. I pray in this this season, this time of trial, of testing, of training, you would show yourself to me. Show me who you are. Show me your true character, your true nature, your identity, your signature moves. Don't let me be tempted. Don't let me fall away from what's good and what's true. I pray that you would strengthen me and I pray that you would help me move toward you 
respond to your invitation to come close to you. Lord, keep me from all harm. Help me, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our lives together, so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening. Thank you.